One of the trends that we see in our society is that there is less brand loyalty than there was before. And you probably know all about it. You know, we shop around more, don't we? And that's made so much easier by the web than it used to be. But we're much less likely to stay with one service provider for a long term. We're always searching for the best deal, and I love it, don't you? When you, you get a good deal and you see how much money you're saving from uh, the previous time. And it, we see a similar thing with employment as well, though, don't we? The average person moves company much, much more than they used to. It, in the past, it was common to find people would regularly work for the same company for the whole of their life. Now that's virtually unheard of. But we find the same attitude, the same consumer attitude reflected in churches as well because we're using the same values, the same standards as we approach church as we do in the rest of life. It's just who we are. And I think the Bible challenges this trend in our society, especially when it comes to our spiritual life. I don't think God has a problem whatsoever with you getting a much better deal for your gas or electricity. But when it comes to our spiritual life, it can actually be really uh, harmful for us. And what gives us the best option with our utility company doesn't give us the best option for our spiritual growth. The Bible is a radical book that cuts across many trends in our society. Today we're going to look again at the acts of God in the, uh, the first church, the early church. And today we're picking up the story in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, where it says, Those who accepted his message, that was after Peter had been speaking, they were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Not a bad day at the office. And uh, this is a picture of a baptism in Iran where tens of thousands of people are coming to faith. It's the country in the world where the evangelical church is growing at the fastest percentage rate. It's an absolutely incredible what's going on there. Now, looking at that verse again, most Bibles put a full stop at the end of that section as we have it. And many even put a paragraph break at that point. But the original Greek that this was written in doesn't have that. And so it should read, going on to the next slide, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The amazing thing is not just the number of people who came to faith in Jesus and started following him, but the radical way in which they immediately started to live. They realized that following Jesus was completely different to the way that they had lived before. It was radical then, and it's still radical today. I want to look at the idea of being devoted, as it talks about here, uh, to something or to a group of people. And so the first heading is be devoted. Uh, we get that in there in verse 42. They devoted themselves. Dictionary definition of devotion. Zealous in devotion or affection, dedicated to a cause or ideal or purpose, dedicated exclusively to a purpose or use. And so as followers of Jesus, 
we are devoted to him. We're devoted to his body, the church, and we are devoted to the purpose that he has given us, to God, to his people, to his purpose, or to Christ, his church, and his cause, if you prefer alliteration like that. <clears throat> the Greek word that's used for devotion uh, is proskartaruntes, which literally means with strength. Pros is with, and kartaruntes uh, is strength. And so it means to persevere, to give constant attention to, to be devoted, steadfastly attentive, giving unrelenting care, to continue all the time, to be constant, uh, to be in constant readiness. That was how the, uh, the Greek lectionary described it. So do you get the, the idea, the kind of thing? It's, it's a powerful thing that, that it's talking about. And, and this devotion is a radical way of living. It cuts right the way across our societal trend of being less devoted, less committed. And it's not just our devotion to our shops and utility companies where we are less devoted. To our relationships in this country, we are less committed. And the assumption is, if it doesn't work out, bail out and start again. But these 3,000 new believers gave strong commitment to their new faith, and it was seen in what they did. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and held everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. They were devoted to the Bible, both head knowledge that gives us understanding, but also heart knowledge that transforms our lives. They were devoted to fellowship, spending time in relationships, supporting each other, not taking that easy opt-out, not thinking, well, I don't really like it here, so I'll just pop down to the church down the road, not thinking, oh, I've fallen out with Fred. So I'm, you know, I'm just going to go to the other church because there wasn't another church, was there? In each city there was a church. And so if you fell out of relationship, you either stopped walking with Jesus or you stayed in the church and you dealt with your problems. And it was such a healthy way of doing things. And yet today, people fall out of relationship and so they just move down the road to another church. So they don't have to repent. And the result is they don't mature and they don't grow and they become weaker in their faith as a result because they haven't taken that growth opportunity that God has given them. Given them. So they, they were devoted to fellowship and to working through problems together. We're told they were devoted to breaking bread and this word means the Lord's Supper and uh, we do that in our small groups. They were devoted to prayer. We know that prayer is the engine room of the church. And then devotion also showed itself in a radical approach to finances. They sold up property to meet, meet the needs of the poor. And we see that right the way through the New Testament, that as people saw a need and they had the excess, they were incredibly generous in what they did. They met daily in the temple and in other people's homes, each other's homes. Part of the reason they were able to do this was that they were on a holiday. They were gathered together in Jerusalem for one of the big Jewish festivals. And so they didn't have to go to work, so they were able to meet together 
Uh, it, it has to work out, obviously, slightly differently in when we're, we've got proper jobs to do and life to lead and all that kind of thing. But we're told that they shared their meals together. Another really important part of church life, eating together. And they did it willingly, and their hearts overflowed with thankfulness to God. And that was seen not just in the way that they lived, but also in the overflow of that when they got together to worship God. And they didn't do this because they had to. They weren't told, if you want to follow Jesus, then you have to pray at this time of day, and you have to read this much of the Bible, and you have to have to, have to, have to, have to. That's not a good motivator, is it? Have to do it, ought to do it, must do it. This isn't a, a religious exercise that they were going through. This was because of their encounter with Jesus. And the result of this radical way of living is recorded for us in verse 43. Everyone out in the community was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. See, this kind of devotion to Jesus, to his people, and to his cause opens up the power for things to happen. And we see here many wonders and miraculous signs being done. Verse 47, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Wouldn't that be wonderful to see? It's the kind of thing they're seeing in Iran. Lots of people coming to faith there. And we're told that the local community in Jerusalem, the people who didn't know Jesus yet, were filled with awe. That's the word it picks. The actual Greek word is phobos, which means fear, which is, you know, you can, you can say it's awe. It's not that they were frightened, but they held them in incredibly high regard. Uh, because this was, what was happening was powerful and it was radical. And people had to sit up and take notice unlike the media image that everybody has of, the, uh, of Christians today, that uh, we are wet, pathetic, and irrelevant. Uh, a week ago, yesterday, we were at a wedding. It was Mandy's nephew who was getting married, and a number of his school and uni friends were there. And many of them had never been to what we would consider to be a normal wedding or a normal church service. They'd been inoculated against the real thing, by some kind of religion at school. And uh, they were completely blown away by what they experienced. They had no idea that actually going along to church was anything like that. Because what's portrayed in the media is such a negative and harmful thing. Another result of devotion was a breaking open of the spirit realm, releasing healings, signs, wonders, miracles. And although people could see that um, this was in some way, this was a, they were in fear, they could see that this was a good thing, a God thing. These were people who were already open to God, people who had come to a religious festival. They were, they were seeking God. They were right on the edge, ready to come to Jesus. Now, many of the people we meet today are not at that point. We need to do a little bit more work with them to help them get to that point before they're ready. But these people could see that there was something about these followers of Jesus that was different. There was something that they wanted. And many more people started following Jesus. And every day there were more. So what do you think? Would you rather have 
the results that we have in today's society where largely because of the media and, well, other things as well, that the church is ignored and ridiculed and inside many churches there is a lack of devotion? Or would you like to see in this church and in your life passionate devotion, radical living, and the amazing results that we see in Acts chapter 2? Because what we are given here is set out as the normal way of church. Devotion to Jesus, devotion to each other, and devotion to our purpose is a good thing. You know, imagine what it would be like if we saw more of this overflowing in our church, people daily coming to faith, lots of healings, lots of uh, God's people confident and boldly proclaiming Jesus. And we would then see the overflow of that into our society, wouldn't we? Crime rates going down. Fewer abortions, less sexual abuse, a reduction in sex trafficking, uh, less road rage, the shootings and stabbings that are getting so much prominence in the media being, becoming a thing of the past. Employers who have been acting unjustly becoming just. Employees who have been cutting corners, no longer cutting corners. People using their resources not just to feather their own nest, but to help and serve other people. The overflow seen in society. And all of that comes from devotion to Jesus, to Christ, his church, and his cause. So the second thing is to be part of the body. And uh, when we talk here about being part of the body, it means the body of Jesus, the church. The description of what happened that we read at the beginning is what a healthy church should look like. It's not put there as the exception, it's put there as the norm that really we should be aiming for. And then the Bible gives us other pictures to help us understand this more clearly. So, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, uh, Paul writes, Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to live indep to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. We have a very individualized way of living in the West. We think individualistically rather than communally. And in many parts of the world, that's very different. Probably that aspect is better, where we are seen as part of a family, part of a community, and not just on our own. And it completely shapes the way people make decisions and the way they view life. And one of the lovely things in our trips to Central Asia is to see how strong the sense of family is. They think of themselves as belonging to a family. They don't think of themselves as an individual, simply. And uh, it really has a powerful impact on the way society runs. And so Paul teaches us here that we don't live for ourselves any longer. We don't live on our own any longer. We live as part of a body. Jesus is the head of the body, and then we live an integrated life, devoted 
and committed to each other. Now, I don't know about you, but that challenges me because both my personality type and my history push me towards being isolated in many ways and uh, in many ways as well. My job does the same thing. Uh, I'm a jack of all trades. I can turn my hand to virtually anything and do a, an average job uh, or to do it badly in many cases, but it pushes me to try and do things on my own. And the danger with that is that I then become isolated because I don't rely on other people. I don't get other people involved. But for me to flourish as a person, I need to be strongly connected to other people. And I need to be strongly connected to God's people. God brings us healing, growth, uh, including spiritual growth through relationships. There are spiritual disciplines, certainly, that encourage us where we have time on our own, where uh, our devotional time, where we're reading our Bible and praying and all those kinds of things, and they are wonderful, but their purpose is to make us stronger so that we come back into community, both with God and with each other. It, it's, the intention is to strengthen our relationship and not pull us away. And uh, so that's why I have a real problem with what uh, some of the churches did in the past where, you know, hermits, the, God, the so-called godly people would go off and live in caves and people would, you know, bring them food. But they just lived on their own. They didn't interact with people at all. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all. We're meant to be thoroughly plugged into relationship. These spiritual practices that God gives us are not an end in themselves. They, are, they have a purpose to make us stronger so that we can then be connected to and serve other people. Uh, a friend of mine was uh, in prison for uh, a few weeks and he was held in total isolation. And the isolation broke him down a lot more than the interrogation did. In fact, it got to the stage where he longed to be interrogated because at least he had contact with people. The isolation for him was so destructive. In our society, we have pseudo-relationships through social media. And social media can be useful, can't it? But uh, often we think that we're connected when people, with people when actually we are unhealthily disconnected. And one of the reasons that our connection groups and our communities are so important and our gathering here on a Sunday morning is so important is that they genuinely help us to connect. And that's where we get the help when we need it. God didn't design us to live in isolation. He designed us so that we need help from each other. And sometimes we're able to give, sometimes we receive. But we always need connection. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 19 says, A body isn't really a body unless there's more than one part. It takes many parts to make a single body. That's why the eyes cannot say they don't need the hands. That's also why the head cannot say it doesn't need the feet. You know, imagine tomorrow morning your stomach decided to go downstairs for breakfast and your right leg wanted to stay in bed. However, your left knee wanted to completely leave your body and go and join someone else's body for the day. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous, isn't it? But that's the image that we have for the church. A body can't operate that way. And that's the point that Paul is trying to drive home with this passage. Uh, 
hitting it from several different angles. The church is a body. We follow Jesus, who is the head, but we operate as one body. And it's no good for one part to decide, I don't need to go along to connection group tonight or whatever it may be. I'll have a night off. What happens to the body at that point? Paul says here that the body suffers. The body is going to become less effective. And also that person loses out by not being there because all the people that you are connected to in the body of Christ will miss that connection just as you will miss that connection with other people if you're not there. Because simply by turning up, you're connecting, you're being a blessing, you're being an encouragement by turning up. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. But just by coming here on a Sunday morning or coming to your connection group, you're an encouragement to people. You honor them. You honor God by simply by turning up. You have a lot more impact than you realize. And that's before you've even done anything. Verse 24. Jesus did this to make all the parts of the body work together smoothly, with each part caring about the others. If one part of our body hurts, we hurt all over. If one part of our body is honored, the whole body will be happy. Together you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of his body. So can you see how this fits with this, that passage we started with in Acts chapter 2? A body of people that we call a church. Greek word simply means a gathering of people who gather for a purpose. And these people gathered because they were devoted to Jesus, the head of the body. They were also devoted to each other, to individual relationships, but also committed to the whole body. And who were also devoted to what the body is called to do. Each person has an important part to play. And the body becomes stronger when we show up. Third and last thing is to be compelled by love. In a typical Sunday, Mandy and I miss, sorry, in a typical year, Mandy and I miss three Sundays because of holiday. You may wonder, why, would we, why do we do it that way? Well, it's not because I'm employed by the church to turn up, because I used to have the same attitude even when I was back in my teens. Uh, it's not because I have to, and as I said earlier, have to, ought to, should, they're not good motivators, are they? They might keep us going for a little bit, but that'll not last long. Why were these believers, these new believers in Acts chapter 2, so devoted to Jesus and to what he was doing? Why were they willing even to lose their lives as a result of this? One of the people I showed you in the photographs, uh, when she uh, turned from being a Muslim to following Jesus, she, her family put her under house arrest. One of the downsides of thinking in a family context was that she had brought uh, shame to their family. And uh, so her father and her uncle, uncle bundled her into the back of the car to take her to the local graveyard where they were going to kill her. And uh, as they were driving, her father said, no, we can't do it today because it's, it's a special celebration day for Muslims. Uh, we'll take her back home. We'll do it another day. So they threw her back into her room. <clears throat> and uh, I'm not sure whether it was that night or a couple of nights later, uh, she got a phone call. Uh, there was a big party going on downstairs, and she got a phone, phone call from one of the team 
who said, I'm in a car outside, just walk out of the house and I'll take you away. And she thought, well, I'm not going to be able to get out. There are all these people down here. So anyway, she, she just walked out, walked straight through the house, got into the car and they drove her off. Uh, for the next couple of months, she had to live in a single room, isolated, uh, all the windows uh, closed and uh, curtains so that nobody could see where she was because her family were desperately trying to find her. And uh, that was the price she had to pay. She had been beaten multiple times and... Uh, after a number of years, there started to be restoration in the relationship. And that was the same kind of thing that the early followers of Jesus found. People completely misunderstanding the fact that they were following Jesus. And so incredible persecution. So why did they do it? Because they experienced the reality of who Jesus is. They surrendered to Jesus and received everything that he had for them. Incredible blessings. They experience forgiveness. You know, that's, that's a good one. Uh, when you've been walking with Jesus as long as I have, it's very easy to take that for granted. But we need to, uh, each day, remember just how incredible just that is on its own. They were restored into relationship with God the Father. They were overwhelmed by his love. They saw lives changing. They saw other healings happening as well. They saw miraculous provision as God uh, opened the storehouses of heaven for them. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says, Christ's love compels us. We're certain that if one person died for everyone else, then all of us have died. And Christ did die for all of us. He died so we would no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died and was raised to life for us. Compelled by the incredible love of Jesus that he has for you and for me. And we respond to that love. We are compelled by it because it grips us and it pushes us forward. And that's why I don't miss church. Not because I'm employed to be here or because I ought to, should do, have to. And like many of you, there are Sundays where I feel like going and doing something else. But I am committed to Jesus and I am committed to this church, to this body of people, because I am part of this body. I don't just turn up because it's a, a job or it pays my salary or whatever. But because of the love of God and because he calls me to be part of and to serve in this body. So how can I not be here when God is done that for me. He's given me so much. He gave everything. God held nothing back when Jesus died on the cross. So how can I hold back on him? It's an overwhelming call. And it's the call that God gives to each one of us because we're part of the body. We have Jesus as the head. And there are times when we feel that overwhelming and compelling love and it's wonderful, isn't it? And there are times that we don't. But we mustn't allow our actions to be co controlled by rogue feelings. Love is a decision and an action. And so, as Paul says, we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for what is convenient for us. Yes, we look after ourselves. Yes, we make sure that we are you know, properly exercised and fed and clothed and clean and 
you know, do uh, the things that help us to grow spiritually. We do those things. And if we don't do them, then we're not much use to other people as well. But we don't live for ourselves. We are devoted because of what Jesus did for us, for his incredible love for us, and we join him in doing what he's doing. The Bible gives us a radical way of living. Our culture pulls us towards less commitments in relationships, selfish living which focuses on me and on my pleasure, and it leads us to fractured relationships. And unfortunately, it does that in the church as well. But the Bible sets us an ideal of how to live. Firstly, living for Jesus, following his direction and surrendering our agenda for our lives to him. He's the head of the church. He's head of us individually. And so we follow him as much as we can. And then secondly, we live for his body. Being an effective member of that body starts simply by turning up. But each of us has an important part to play as well. We get support when we need it. We give support where we can. And we follow the example of Jesus, don't we? That, uh, he came to give rather than to receive. And then the fruit that we see from this devoted life, we see it in the book of Acts, is amazing. Knowing that we're not isolated, but we're a family. We have unity. We have love. We have healing, provision. Uh, we see many people coming to know Jesus and the church is raised up into the position that it should be in society, which is a position of serving society. Not ruling, not dominating, but serving and bringing new life into the community. And seeing that new life released through everyone, every day, everywhere. Through our jobs, through our hobbies, through our social times. And so the questions come to us. Firstly, am I devoted to Jesus? Am I fully devoted to Jesus or am I only giving him part of my life and energy? As I've said before, 95% devotion to Jesus may be more than the person next to you or the person behind you, but actually it's shortchanging Jesus. We give him 100%. And so I'd encourage you just to give God as much as you can today. I was doing an Emmanuel prayer session for uh, a leader recently, not a part of this church, and Jesus took him back to a memory where he was afraid of letting go. And someone challenged him, and he said, are you, are you willing to let go of everything? And he was afraid, because he was afraid that that would mean he, you know, he wouldn't develop his career and all that kind of thing. He was afraid, and so he gave Jesus as much as he could. And I don't think Jesus was offended by that. I don't think uh, that God is upset when we aren't perfect, because <laughs> otherwise he'd be very upset, wouldn't he? But he works with what we've, we've got. He knows how weak we are. He, uh, and he's delighted when we give what we can. So in the prayer time, my friend was able to see that he had moved on and that he was genuinely able to say, Jesus, I give you absolutely everything, no matter what impact that has on my career or anything else. So I'd encourage you, give Jesus everything you can, and then tomorrow give him a little bit more. Uh, because no matter how much we feel like we're giving Jesus, there probably is a bit more that we haven't surrendered to him. Or it may be that you feel like, I really can't open the door very much today. 
Well, open the door as far as you can. And then tomorrow, open it a little bit more until you get to the point where the door is wide open and you can say, Jesus, I completely and totally surrender to you. The model that we have in that passage in Acts chapter 2 is to give Jesus everything. And so that's what I'd encourage you to do. So the first question was, am I fully devoted to Jesus? Second one, am I fully devoted to his people? Or do I come just as a consumer to get what I want? That's one of the ways that uh, our society cuts across what will be good for us. And then thirdly, am I fully devoted to the cause of Jesus? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to help other people know Jesus? Am I willing to move outside of my comfort zone? Um, in this church, we're seeking to build a fully functioning biblical church that grows passionate followers of Jesus. If that's not what you currently see in your life, then I just encourage you, respond to Jesus today. Do the business with him today that you want or you need to be able to do. He's for you. He loves you. There is no rebuke. There is just an encouragement to come and receive more. And the thing that you'll find, as my friend found, um, was that even though he was afraid of surrendering everything to Jesus, when you surrender to Jesus, you actually get what's much better. Because God doesn't give you things that you hate. He's created you in a particular way, and he knows what's going to be best for you. He knows how uh, his plans for you are to bless you, to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. So there's no fear when it comes to God's love. There's no fear that God's going to take good things away from us. Uh, certainly, I've been following Jesus for <laughs> a long time, 56 years, and he's always been good. He's always blessed me, much more than I would have imagined. So I'd encourage you, just go for it. Let's stand together.